This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast. Today, I'm speaking to registered nurse Anastasia Williams. Anastasia, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you here. Um, Anastasia, what's your anxiety story? I probably have uh, many anxiety stories, to be honest, but the biggest one that pops up for me is um, that sense of belonging or Mm -hmm in my case, not belonging and just mm-hmm. feeling really awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm. in many situations. And that story that I think I have <clears throat> over the years told myself that I don't belong. Mm-hmm. And when, so when did you first start experiencing that? Oh, probably as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was born to a teenage mom that I don't think really, wanted to be responsible for a child yeah and was spent my formative really young years with my grandparents and my aunt who was only 12 years older than I am and then being taken from Canada to Bermuda and really seeing how different I was in in that situation and just really not belonging ever Mm-hmm. in a lot of ways so that was yeah you experienced displacement there did you experience you, you went into you went to school in bermuda yep yeah i was yep. there from the time i was i turned six there and i lived there till i was just about 13 okay wow so those are pretty formative years yes. for a young woman and do you have a recollection of what the you know were you feeling anxiety all the time there where you just did you, did you have a hard time you know forming uh friend groups what was that like uh there was a lot of different things that were challenging even to really simple stuff like not knowing how to play the same games that the kids played there you know mm-hmm. they played marbles i grew up in vancouver or i'd lived in vancouver until then i didn't know what marbles was i didn't know how to play cricket mm-hmm. i had really long red hair down to my bum mm-hmm. Um, I was the only Caucasian kid in my class. Right. And I think there was this sort of idea that if you were a white Canadian or North American or British kid, that you were wealthy. Right. And and we weren't. My Mm -hmm. mom had married a black Bermudian. And so I had been put into this school system and I was, I was the same age as all of those kids, but at a different educational level as well. Right. So it was very right. And, and so when you're experiencing anxiety, can you, at that age, maybe can you explain to me what that felt like for you? I developed a flinch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interested. At a, Interested. Yeah, at a really young age, I would, um, it's a little bit embarrassing to say this, but I would go. <laughs> right. Right. And it was, I don't know what I was doing or why I was doing it. And I remember being called out by it. Really? By other kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And trying to stuff it and trying to hide it. And I also used to um, rub my fingers until they were raw. Wow, interesting. So it it, kind of came out that way. Did you have, like, 
you know, my, my typical anxious feelings reside in my stomach. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you, did you, is that physically what you were feeling? And then it, it kind of manifested in that way, or was it not something you're really aware of being a physical feeling? At I think that at that age, I didn't know. I didn't, I mean, I still do it even to this day. I still do this yeah. when I'm nervous and I know that I'm yeah. doing it now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it, it, I didn't really start manifesting sort of stomach problems until I was in my teens. Right. But I can remember being in situations as, as a child or as a teenager and just having gut-wrenching cramps. Yeah, that was, that was me too. Yeah. So, so you came back and did, did you have any... So at that age, you and I are roughly the same age. We don't need to say what that age is, but <laughs> at that at that age, um, did you seek help, or was there help available, or were you just kind of riding it out? You know, I was I was very much on my own. I'd had a mom who took me with her, but I don't think I really. And I'm not blaming my mom for this. No, no, that's she okay. She was doing that's, her own thing. That's not what that's not what the show is about. That's fine. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. It, she had a, a, my brother is nine plus years younger than I am. So she had a, an infant and she had this 10 year old kid that she was dragging around with her and um, she had her own things to deal with. So I was very much on my own. Mm-hmm. However, I will say in those first few years in Bermuda, I had one school teacher mm-hmm. who I think saved my life. She doesn't know that, but <laughs> I, I know she did. Interesting. So can you elaborate on that? Like what, what was that? Her name was Mrs. Ferbert. Okay. And she was this beautiful, big Afro haired black woman who mm-hmm. could clearly see there was something not quite right in this white Canadian kid's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And I was, I was a bright kid. Yeah. And um, they have a different school system there. So they put me in the sort of, grade that I was in in Canada but age-wise I should have been in a higher grade so I ended up Uh, in her class first so I was older than all the other kids uh that would be hard she could tell that I was really bright and she did stuff like she put me into an essay contest about honeybees (laughs) and I won (laughs) I I won Ah, awesome I wrote this essay and I remember getting this huge jar of honey and I was probably only about seven or eight at the top yeah yeah uh she put me in flower arranging competition she got me into the spelling bee for the island Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the principal took me home so they were really very formative memories that i have and i i injured myself quite badly that year at school and i needed stitches yeah and she was the one that came to the hospital with me and held my hand well, that's interesting. I mean, it seems like she was kind of enabling you or helping you gain some confidence or reassurance that you were capable. Do you feel like that's kind of what she was doing? I think there was, there was that, but she was also just very loving and extremely yeah. kind. It's an, that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people, you know, who have anxiety and, and there's people who, that's that that kind of seems to always be a thread somebody who just no matter what even if they don't know how to deal with what you're going through um just being loving or providing love certainly goes a long way oh it sure does yeah i had a therapist once tell me it only takes one stable adult in the child's life to make a difference and it doesn't have to be your parents yeah it's sometimes preferably (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and, and then, so, okay, so you move, you, so then you were displaced once and then you were kind of displaced again. Like you came back uh, yeah. to Canada. That's right. We did. And it was sort of under extraordinary circumstances where we, I was in school one day and I was brought home by the principal. And the next day I was on a plane back to Canada. Wow. Yeah, that's so much to deal with. That's so much for somebody, you know, of that age. So you're basically, for all intents and purposes, you were um, just middle school age going into high school age at that point, I guess. I got put back into elementary school. So I'd already done almost an entire year of high school in Bermuda. But because <laughs> it was such a sudden thing and I was 12 going on 13, we, we arrived in March. I turned 13 in April. Mm-hmm. It, again, they didn't know what to do with me. So I got put back into grade seven. Yeah, and I was yeah. developmentally light years ahead of those kids. Yeah, yeah. I got, I had the same experience going just from Ontario to Nova Scotia. I got shoved back a grade. Um, so, at what point did you identify that you had anxiety? At what point did you finally get a name for it? And, you know, when did that happen? I don't know, about three weeks ago. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I hear you. Today. Yeah. Um, when did I, like, when did I really know it was anxiety? Yeah. I would say probably, it's probably really only been in the last decade. Yeah. It, it, that's interesting. Um, and, and so it took, so, so did you, so before previous that last decade, were you, see, were you, see, did you, ha- were you having, did you have help? Like, were you seeing a therapist? Were you seeing a psychologist? Did you, were you oh, diagnosed absolutely. with something else? Like, were you, was it, were you, did you have depression? Like what other kind of kinds of things was it? Because that's a little ways to go before you finally get a label on something. Well, I think I was labeled, but right. it wasn't as anxious. I was more labeled problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Attention seeking. Um, yeah. I was labeled sort of, um, you're just never happy with anything, you know? Right. You can't yeah, make a decision. You can't settle down. There, there's so much in those linguistics, right? There's so much yeah. in, and, and, and unfortunately with the labels you're talking about, um, so many of them have a negative cast. Obviously. Well, they were all very negative. There was no, you know what? You've had a really hard childhood and mm-hmm. I can see why this is happening to you. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that. I got, you're depressed. You yeah. need medication. There's something yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. You're the, and I was told you're the problem. You are the problem. Right. So previous to that, you, you were sort of taking action. You're coping somehow. I mean, you, you know, you, you had kids and you, you know, you were still functioning on some level. Uh, to a degree. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. And I say degree. functioning. I, I'm not saying thriving. Um, yeah. you know, I don't I don't think I don't know. I'm I think there's days where I feel like I'm thriving. Um but I have great tracks of time where I feel like I'm definitely not thriving. Um yeah. what kind of things did you what what you know, what tools do you have? What tools do you have? You know, you and I, like what what the listeners don't know of you and I do have um we have a history. We, you know, we have a history in terms of um, you've definitely helped me with my anxiety issues, but what I, I'm just curious about, we can get, we'll get into that. But what I'm curious about is, did you adopt your own tools for dealing with anxiety? You know, get you through parenthood, um, get you through school to, to do all that. I did. Absolutely. Um, mm. When I hit university, I had a baby in my third year 
And I negotiated with myself because I was sure getting pregnant unexpectedly, I had completely sabotaged myself. There was no way I was going to graduate university because I now, now I have this baby. So I made a pact and I had a babysitter to take her at six weeks and I pumped breast milk every four hours. (laughs) And I thought to myself, if I can't be with her, she's going to have breast milk and I'm still going to graduate. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. I did it for, yeah, that's amazing. It was, it was, I don't know where that energy or drive came from, but I had this little girl that I needed to step up to the plate for. Mm -hmm. And that was your motivation there. That was totally my motivation. And of course, I mean, we all say we're not going to be the same parents that our parents were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually took that very seriously. I grew right. up in an extremely violent home. Right. Yeah. Um, where there was a lot of drugs, there was violence, there was jail time. There was, you know, it was, it was rough when I was a kid. Yeah, for sure. And um, that was not going to happen for my kids come hell or high water. So you use that, you use that experience that you had, um, you consciously knew that you weren't going to create repeated behavior. I knew that at the age of 14, I was, or even younger, yeah. 10, 11, I remember really well being a very young kid in Bermuda, Yeah. plotting my trajectory of how long is it going to take me to get out of Bermuda Yeah. and I'm not coming back to this. This yeah. will not be my life. Right. And so the way, I, you know, to let people know the way I met you was um, through uh, Vancouver Island Health Authority, basically. Like, I, I, I think it is. Like you can correct me on that. But um, I took, after I had a major crash and had a lot, I had like uh, critical anxiety, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up taking a cognitive behavioral therapy course, mm-hmm. group course. And that's essentially where I met you. I, I might have met you possibly socially before that, but um, where did you, where did you start with cognitive behavioral therapy? Where did that? Did you realize that was something that worked for you? When did you discover it? Yeah, I, I discovered it as I was a nurse, as I was the mental health nurse. Mm-hmm. But I had been a mental health nurse in Vancouver, working in the downtown east side. Yeah, yeah. So I'd already had a taste of working with addictions and mental illness. It was a much more profound mental illness when I was sort of working at the street level and working in a nonprofit organization. And then when I came on to be the mental health nurse for Island Health, mm-hmm. it was a, a brand new job that hadn't existed. And so it was a time to kind of look at what were some opportunities to offer clients or patients and CBT was something that was being used widely. So I decided that that's what I was going to focus on was getting training. And so I went to a Randy Patterson course. Uh, He runs the UBC psychology department, not the department, but like the counseling program there. And he's developed a CBT program called uh, change ways, the core program. And that's when it started for me. And then I yeah. did some other courses through Christine Podesky. 
And then I did my certificate through Douglas College to have my CBT certificate. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah, it, as have I, as do many. Um, yeah, because we, f- we first met when I was, had a short stay in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and you were kind of, I guess, I guess you were assigned to me. You know, we, we, I was the mental know, health nurse. Yeah, yeah, you're the mental health nurse. So we so we uh, had a, a few discussions, and that's when you got me into the cognitive behavioral therapy course. And it was um, for me that was incredible. Um, I had never, I'd never really practiced cognitive behavioral therapy much. I knew about it. I had the book, um, Feeling Good, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and that was given to me by a counselor. And I kind of brushed over it. But of course, I was in, at that point. I was in my cycle of feeling good and then ignoring my problem because I feel good and then crashing again. Yeah. You know, uh, you know that I was in that cycle. Um, <clears throat> so I got into that, that thing. And that was, a, that was a group uh, course that we took and it's a group that continues to happen. Uh, no, it doesn't. Well, Oh, it doesn't. So I taught the course. Yeah. Right. Through the mental health team. Yeah. The mental yeah. health team changed. Yeah. I left the team they yeah. wouldn't allow me to teach it anymore. Right. That's what one it was. of the counselors was teaching it. He's left. So it doesn't exist anymore. And now I just run the drop in support group for anybody who's done the course. Right. That's what and, that's. I thought there was a, yeah, I thought there was a detail in there that I had missed. And I do it volunteer. I yeah. don't, I'm not paid for it. I'm not recognized for it. And I will do it forever if I need to, because I really, I get a lot out of it and I enjoy it and I love it. Well, obviously, you know, those in the group get a lot out of it, too. They're the same people that come every, well, we're, we were doing it weekly for quite a few, for quite a few yeah, months lately. Through so. COVID, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I encourage people, because I had never done group, and a lot of people, I think, are concerned about group. Absolutely. Uh, because... First of all, you know, you're talking to somebody face to face. It's really different when you're talking to somebody face to face about your issues. Mm-hmm. And, and it's different when you're facing other people's issues. You know, that, that in itself uh, can create anxiety in people. Um, but uh, but I, I found group to be really a therapy like no other. You, you know, what, what is it about group that you find really works for you? I think it's finding that you belong. I mean, for me, not that sense of not belonging is so profound to find mm-hmm. this group of people that also struggle mm-hmm. makes me not feel so much as an other. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting animal on our island because we live on the same island. It's not a big mm-hmm. island. You know, we've got nope. about 12,000 people here. Um, so we, you and I, we, we know most everybody. And when I walked into my first group, <laughs> it's like... Of course, I knew everybody, yeah. and, I, and I'm not going to assume that everybody knew me, but I think a lot of people knew me. Mm-hmm. doesn't help that I write an article in a local magazine and do podcasts. I mean, that's all different. But, um, but I found it the second I walked in, I felt this sense of relief because yeah. I'd look at these people and, and because I'd passed them a million times in the street. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but when I, when I am at my worst, I'm thinking I'm, I'm projecting or I'm, I'm mind reading. Uh, yeah. That person has a great life. That person has a great life. That person's a great life. And then when I walked in, I, I saw people, I'm like, you, <laughs> what? And, yes. and, and not, not being judgmental, being like, 
Thank relieved. God. Oh yeah. my God. Okay. And you can really exhale when you see actual humans and you hear about, you know, their issues, it can be really helpful. Like, I know a lot of people are concerned about going to group, but I really highly encourage it. And one of the things that I really like about group is that, uh, I mean, I'm there to facilitate, but you, as, as the group learns to trust one another, everybody helps each other. Yeah. And, 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 and it, and it does continue if you want, mm-hmm. if you decide to, because we sign the agreement, we sign a, you know, like a non-disclosure, everything's yeah. completely private, everything's completely quiet. And I think to, on my part, and I think judging from most other people, their part, they honor that. Um, I obviously don't care. I'm a transparent uh, anxiety, suffer, depression, suffer, and mental health advocate. Um, mm-hmm. I understand that not everybody wants to be that, and that's completely fine. Um, but you know, if the people that are in my group, and of course I see them on the street, we often have little conversations, quick little check-ins like on the street. It's, it's quite yeah. funny, you know, a quick little wink, how you doing? Great. Know how you're really doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, then you have a little session. I, I love that. I, I find that's really helpful in terms of, you know, day to day that that can be just so handy. Well, and I think if you've got the tools that you learn through doing a cognitive behavior therapy course and actually applying those things that you learn mm-hmm. being able to share that with other people is such a gift yeah because oh, yeah. as an anxiety sufferer you get to walk away going i think i may have actually helped somebody just now and that helps make you feel better mm-hmm. and i think the i think what we did in class in group is you know really fortifying looking at you know um sort of flawed thought patterns and then I don't know the name of the chart that we do. Um, you know, when you have oh, the thought record, uh, the thought record, let's yeah. just talk about a thought record because I'd like okay. our listeners to hear a little thought record. Um, <laughs> so the thought record, I have what you would consider to be a negative thought. Like, is that, you no, know, it starts off with the situation, right? The situation. What is so, the situation that's taking you down this road of automatic negative thoughts? Yeah. So the situation is I'm nervous about interviewing Anastasia Williams. Okay. And then where do we go from there? So the situation is I have to interview Anastasia. Mm -hmm. Now you start having all these automatic thoughts. Yeah. What are those automatic thoughts? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to ask the right questions. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be nervous. Um, She knows so much more than I do about this. Um, She won't talk enough. You know, there's the, okay. Let oh, those, yeah. those are it. Okay, so, so just list so, it. so you list all of those down, right? But you yeah. got it. The the key to it is writing it out. Agreed. Getting getting it out of here and onto a board or paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I make a shortened version of it, and there's lots of different versions of thought records that you can do. I think yeah, I you can have freedom to make your own thought record. Absolutely. How it lays and out. I use a true and a false column. Yeah. Other people, and I like this one as well, is where's your evidence? Yeah, right. So right. your first one was, I'm not going to ask the right questions? Yeah, let's do that. that. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. So where's your evidence for that? Well, this is, a, this is always the part that stumps me with most of my thoughts. Right. right. You know, because I don't have evidence for that thought. Okay, so is uh, it true or false? Then it's false. Right. Yeah. So what's a balanced thought to that? Um, my balanced thought to that is... I have done a lot of interviews and I've never really gone in the wrong direction in terms of asking questions. Okay. 
And this is also a very organic and fluid process and it'll be what it'll be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. So you just keep going down the automatic thoughts Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and challenging each and every one of them. So that's Mm a thought record. Is there a particular sort of thought? Okay. The, the, the flawed thought, the thought, the flawed, um, or the thought traps, there's a million different words for it. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of different categories fortune telling, mind reading, catastrophizing, Yeah, those. Mine mm-hmm. are, you know, um, used to be mind reading. I've gotten really good at not doing that anymore. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, but it, it's, it's a lot. I, I think what, I think, I think people get overwhelmed with, with, um, with, you know, having to tackle all that at once. And I found that one of my favorite things to do with um, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's, I, it might not even, I guess it is cognitive behavioral therapy, is just catching negative thoughts, period. Oh, absolutely. And not doing anything with them. Yeah. Just identifying. Is that absolutely. something you do? Yeah. I think that's great because if you don't actually know they're happening, yeah. you just keep running down that road. Yeah. But if you can go, oh, hang on a second, that's mm-hmm. a negative thought. Yeah. The other, the other part of distorted thought processes, things like I'm only valuable if I'm doing something for other people. Yeah. I'm only good. I'm only as good as the person I'm with. Right. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's lots and lots of different ways of having sort of those thought distortions. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so, so I, I guess obviously when you found cognitive therapy, you, like, I think you're kind of lucky. You got a course, you taught it, you know, you know so much about cognitive behavior health therapy, behavior therapy. But and the I thing also I, know so little about it. <laughs> well, the thing I like about it is you don't need to know everything about it to make it work. No. You know, when I talked about that, that, that book, uh, feeling good. That's about um, depression mostly, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But it, well, it's about, yeah, it is, but it also employs cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. Um, and you look at it, as a depressed person or an anxious person, you're like, Oh my God, I'm never going to be able to get through this. Yeah. Um, I think there's so many resources. Uh, of course, anxiety Canada is one that I use all the time um, that really help just distill it down to give mm-hmm. you those, to give you simple tools to start with. And that's what I really liked about it too. Um, and the fact that it's incredibly, you know, it's scientifically proven, proven incredibly helpful. Oh yeah. I really enjoyed Christine Podesky's workshops. She's a, she's from California Mm -hmm. and um, she's a leading expert in the U S on cognitive behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was just amazing being able to sit through her presentations and learn from her. Right. Are you currently still doing mental? I mean, uh, you know, we do the group, right? I run, I do my voluntarily Um, professionally. Are you still working in the mental health field? Like, are you able to do that? Well, I'm a case manager nurse. Right. now in home and community care. So the beauty of having a mental health background and a CBT background is you can use it wherever you work. Even if I was yeah. a grocery store clerk, I could use it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I deal with a lot of families. I deal mm-hmm. with palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, I deal with people who are dealing, they're the sandwich generation where they've got sort of teenagers, early twenties, and they've got elderly parents who need to go into care. And there's that push pull a lot of people here on salt spring have nobody so i'm dealing with that as well Mm -hmm. and um given my background in mental health i've Mm -hmm. 
done quite a bit of work with um, public guardianship lately. Yeah, yeah, right. So I'm not specifically a mental health nurse, but I'm, I have the extremely good fortune of being able to use the skills that I have in the job that I have now. Well, I think it benefits so many, you know, I've got a GP who seems to know quite a bit about, about cognitive therapy, cognitive behavior mm-hmm. therapy, because, you know, I'm in there getting a medical test or getting workup done or something like that. I have anxiety about it. And he, I can tell he's using CBT on me um, yeah. when he's talking to me about it. And it's, it's just such a handy thing to have. Like you said, no matter what, well, it doesn't even have to be professional. It, it, like I use it on my family. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about what, you know, what you were just thinking there. It's just mm-hmm. so incredibly handy. And, the, and the, I think the nice thing about it is the more I use it with others, it just helps just really fortify it in myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, okay, talking about the mental health system, not to get too political or too deep into it. Uh, you know, in, we're, you know, we're in Canada, we're in British Columbia, we're in small town, British Columbia. Um, what do you feel like we're lacking in terms of the mental health system, in terms of, you know, um, the system that we, that we live in now? I'd like to see more mental health support in schools yeah. and for parents. Yeah. It, I, I, I think it really starts there yeah i'm in total agreement uh so you like do you think would you envision sort of mental health as being part of curriculum absolutely why not because i mean you know for years and years and it's physical health is great for mental health Mm -hmm. but it's not the end all be all if that was then we would all just be out jogging every day and we'd feel great and not everybody wants to do that god no Right. So Certainly how do you not fit me. those Certainly not kids? Me. Yeah. How do you fit those kids in that are little bookworms and aren't interested in, or, or the sort of mentality of kids who are really athletic yeah. versus the ones who aren't, there's not always that welcoming. Well, and, and then, yeah, I mean, on that same token, kids that are very athletic and face a great deal of stress and pressure from, from that, or, who from are what pushed they do. To, who haven't learned how to say no or who, Again, I think that's where the parenting courses would come in handy is to be able to recognize when we're projecting our own desires onto our kids. Cause I yeah, think that's, 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 I've never thought about that. That's an incredible idea. Like that's I, a great idea. I, I was really lucky cause with my first marriage, um, we were having a lot of problems. We had very divergent ideas about parenting, but we took a parenting course together. Mm-hmm. as part of trying to salvage our marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of my first real taste of, I don't think it was CBT at the time, but it was that group participation. Right. And it wasn't therapy. It was an actual parenting course, but it was run through um, the Adler School of Psychology. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it really was life-changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I learned of, oh, I'm, I'm putting my values onto my kids. Right. So we have, in schools, we have phys ed. Yeah. Like, are we ready? I know, I know we're ready. Um, but like mental ed, you know, is, is that why a course? Not? Yeah. I th- why not? Yeah. Um, and there's so much that you can teach within that mental education as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. There's sexual health. Yeah. There's 
through gender health because I think that each gender or each group who identifies however they identify there's something to to as as young adolescents to to learn to accept and understand because I don't know what you were like when you were going through puberty and going through high school but <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a clue as to what was normal or not normal or it and, wasn't and smooth we, sailing no no and and we don't we don't give kids those tools to really help them feel good about who they are mhm yeah i i completely agree with that i i i think that it's getting better like my kids are 15 and 18 and they and it's also because of the dialogue i create at my house about yeah. you know opening being open about mental health but i think you know because there's still a lot of destigmatization that has to occur um and i think having it just in in schools would go so far in absolutely in, you know, in making that a mandatory thing even something like a meditation class too or start your class with five minutes of meditation you know even just teaching kids to kind of slow themselves down a little bit mm -hmm. yeah if, if i'd have learned that at an early age you know i would have been able to recognize when i was out of control and yeah. to stop and slow down yeah um i'm gonna let you go but i want to know sort of you know of course you know and and i'm sure you've been told that you've been a incredible help and influence for me personally. Um, and a lot of people I know out there in our community personally, and then maybe people outside of the community, what kind of advice do you give to somebody who's, who's feeling anxious? Oh, you know, what, what would you say to them if they're, if they're, you know, critical, if they're feeling horrible, if they're listening to this podcast, because they're feeling that way. It doesn't have to be advice. It could just be what do you say, you know? You know, the first thing that really comes to my mind is mm. how much love there really is for that person, either yeah. from me or from other people around them and how much value they are and, and offer. Mm -hmm. And that even though right now things are really, really rough, mm. I promise you this will slow down. This yep. doesn't last forever. Yeah. And the more that you can get to understand and appreciate what's happening, the sooner you'll be able to recognize it. Yeah, absolutely. Bang on. And, and I am, uh, I'm evidence of that. Um, mm -hmm. You've seen me go through ups so and downs. So am I. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, you've seen me go through ups, ups and downs and I'll have downs again in my life. Absolutely. You know, we, They're we totally will. normal. Yep. Uh, Anastasia, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience and, and then talk about, you know, what, you know, um, it's invaluable. I could talk to you forever and ever. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's, it's incredibly helpful. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really grateful. Okay. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.